Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Uncounseling Show with Dr. Fred Boley. Every Thursday, the good doctor and his guests take a skeptical, Catholic look at conventional counseling and why it often doesn't work. If you want to join in the fun, drop us a note in the chat room or call in at 515-602-9655. That number, once again, is 515-602-9655. And now, Catholic therapist, spiritual advisor and legend in his own mind, Dr. Fred Boley. activity of the girls, for the girls, and by the girls. And this is why men don't want to go to counseling. We're going to talk about this conundrum, and later in the show, we're going to be talking about being Jewish and being Catholic all at the same time. With a very special guest who is living it. This is Dr. Fred Bowley speaking. I work as a counselor, but in some important ways, counseling does not work. Call us now if you have any experiences of counseling, good, bad, or indifferent, on 515-602-9655. That's 515-602-9655. And welcome to the Uncounseling Show on the Four Persons Podcast. Uncounseling is produced by my nonprofit, St. Barnabas Reconciliation, and by the Four Persons Podcast. This is a weekly look at counseling and psychotherapy from a skeptical Catholic point of view. Whether or not you are skeptical or Catholic, you are welcome to the discussion. Call 515-602-9655. Okay, I'm getting the sign that Deb can't hear me. Can't hear me at all? Can you hear me now? Ah, yes? Okay. So, um, uh, I see what happened, Deb. I have... Now click the right button. Can you hear me? Yes? Good. Well, today, unfortunately, we do not have a man who is both skeptical and Catholic and luxuriantly <laughs> bearded. Yes, we have no bearded Brian. We have no bearded Brian today. But we do have special guest star on loan from the Tangled Mess Show, Catholic counselor extraordinaire. Please welcome Deb Rojas. How are you, Deb? Hello, Fred. Thanks for having me on. You are welcome. So, Deb, do you have lots of male clients? I have quite a few, yes. And I know they do well, right? But do you <laughs> find that, <laughs> that men in counseling You're going warm? To negate your whole show in one <laughs> in one minute. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, but let me ask you a serious question. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Do you find that men warm up to the idea of counseling more slowly? Is it more difficult for men to come into counseling, would you say? Hmm. Well, I have fewer men. Right. What do you think the proportion is, so, roughly? Hmm, good question. Now it's probably maybe 25%. 25% men and 75% women? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so our I, practice, yeah. Though there are two other men, male counselors, and I think men more so go to the male counselors. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I think some men prefer a male counselor, but others prefer female. Mm-hmm. But I would say probably men are more uh, comfortable talking with another man, like, again, maybe 60% of the time or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think of my individual clients, really, I don't know. But I think I probably have close to an even balance because Mm -hmm. of men calling in and requesting to talk to another man. Mm -hmm. But I do think that many fewer men are in counseling. And if you ask men why they have come, um, whatever it is they say at first, the real reason is because their wives or girlfriends told them to. Am I right? I was going to say that. (laughs) Not all the time, but like 80% of the time, someone got fed up with their stuff and told them to go see a counselor, and they finally had to do it. Mm-hmm. So why do men resist counseling, would you say? Why do men resist counseling? Why do men hate counseling? Okay. A lot of time. Not every time, but a lot of time. didn't before that, you said, "Am I right?" And I, I evaded the, I evaded the question. <laughs> um, men typically do not come to counseling because, hypothetically speaking, yes, they are right and they don't need it. They're fine. So men don't see that they need help to the same extent that women do. You're trying to say that men don't really suffer in the same way women do. Well, not Life is a in better the same way necessarily. Men. So, so women women send men to counseling because the relationships aren't working. Right. And that may not be something. That. Yeah, that may not be something that's not necessarily on a man's radar, as much as other subjects might be. So relationships are more important to women, and therefore they're not as motivating to men, right? You know, I don't want to say that categorically, that they're more important to women. Um, I, don't have, I don't know. Would you say that's true? I, we're, we're made for relationships, male and female. We're made well, for men in relationships. Well, then why, do, so, why are women more into it? What do you think of the deal is with that? Here's what I think. Here's a hypothesis, at least. Men are um, Mm -hmm. action-oriented or results-oriented. We want to get something done, and if there's a problem, we want to fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is true of all human beings. All human beings want to be in the world and doing things that make a difference in the world, whether it's making a good grilled cheese sandwich Mm -hmm. or... Um, fixing an engine in a car Mm -hmm. or writing poetry or whatever. We all want to be out there doing stuff that make a difference. But men tend to be more into doing stuff than women, and women tend to be more into relationships than men, Mm -hmm. even though all of us, men and women, are built for both of those things. So I'm I'm making a face here. That the, uh, <laughs> the listeners can see, <laughs> because I think you know, you say men are more into doing things. Um, I'm I'm one of the the most productive people. I mean, this is, and it's not. 
I mean, I am very, very productive. I get a lot done. And I, like, I look at my mother. My mother is incredibly productive. Your mother, also incredibly productive. Like, look at the things that they do. You know, it's like very, very busy, very full, um, but also very relational. It's a both and. It's not an either or. And so I think the difference might be that men, especially with our, our modern society and the way that work is outside of the home, that the tendency can be more to focus on that. And so what on, are the what are the aspects of masculinity then that make it difficult or at least unlikable as a as a proposed course of action, right? Most men don't really feel highly motivated to come into counseling. What is it about being a man that makes that true? Well, I, I, I'm just going to say as a joke, like having to talk about feelings. Well, why is that a joke? No, that's absolutely right. I mean, that is true. Why don't men like to talk about I hate talking about feelings. Why am I in this job? No, just kidding. Why don't men like to talk about feelings? It's so cringe. It's so mm. horrible. Ugh. You don't I know, do you? Don't, uh-huh. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a man, but I don't like to talk about feelings, and yet I'm a counselor. <laughs> Well, there's a difference between um, uh, doing it professionally and doing it about your own feelings, right? Oh, absolutely, 100%. So um, uh, not being hypocritical, you know, it's just a lot mm-hmm. easier to talk about other people's feelings than mm-hmm. it is to talk about your own. Absolutely. And it's because talking about your own feelings makes you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Someone can make fun of you or tell you that it was stupid or whatever. You could get shot down or shamed for feeling mm-hmm. whatever core of your being, like who you really are. And I think we're very protective of those places within mm-hmm. ourselves. And um, and men are particularly good at protecting. That's one of the things that's intrinsic to masculinity. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, there are these vulnerable places that are very secure. And right. so everything seems to be fine because those places are, they're tightly sealed. Mm-hmm. So why mess with it? So in other words, as far as we as men know, um, we're going along fine, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have Everything the impression okay. that yeah. we're not crying at work, mm-hmm. not crying in front of our wife. So the fact that your wife is unhappy, like, oh, well, she'll survive, right? Until she gets mad enough that she says, get yourself into counseling, I can't take no more. So, you know, maybe not crying, but maybe it's like really irritable, angry, frustrated. Well, anger we don't have as much trouble with. It's quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's a very, okay. it's a very, um, you know, I think men are very comfortable with anger. Yeah. As opposed to crying. But too much anger in any sort of relationship is pretty poisoning. Mm-hmm. All right. So mm-hmm. if if you all you got is one setting, like whether you feel sad or worried, anxious, whatever, mm-hmm. it all comes out as anger. That's pretty wearing on the other mm-hmm. person in your life. Yeah. And it can really create a very unhealthy home dynamic. Yeah, that's for sure. So you know what else is masculine? Independence. Mm-hmm. You know, in a certain sense. 
Amer for American males, yes. Yeah. American American men particularly prize independence. I was thinking about that, but I think yeah, you're right. I mean, Americans in general value Americans in general. Mm -hmm. self sufficiency really highly. Yeah, it's an, it's like an American virtue. But also, like you were saying a minute ago, a part of masculinity is protection, right? That's mm -hmm. that's one of our main jobs. And if you have to ask for help. It's almost like you are not doing the protecting anymore, so you are failing as a man. Mm -hmm. You know, I find often that that when when it comes down to it, that men are really afraid of not being enough, mm -hmm. not being able to do, do enough. They're similar, men and women. Those those core fears of identity. Mm -hmm. um, they are similar. But in that sense of like having to admit help, it's I'm not enough mm -hmm. to to be what I'm supposed to be, and there's a lot of shame then associated with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that is a good point. Well, we have a caller here, Deb. Alrighty, wonderful. And this is a a a man called John, who you may have met. <laughs> This is our uh this is our producer and the uh the person who runs the four persons blog and podcast. I'm gonna see mm -hmm. if I can get him on live here. Are you there, John? He's probably there, but we certainly can't hear what he is saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is the other thing about men. We really don't like to talk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we have the usual technical struggles with uh, our technology. Perhaps, um, John, John, keep trying because you. I'll say that again, Deb. Could he perhaps email you the uh, the question? Question? Yeah, I'm sure he could. If you can hear the sound of my voice, John, send me your question or your comment. I have your microphone turned on, but we're not hearing you yet. So do keep trying. Um, we're talking now about masculinity and counseling. The two don't seem to mix very easily, right? Seems to be a block. People who are men uh, don't seem to want to come to counseling. They don't enjoy it. But very often, Deb, I do find that um, when you get a man in the counseling room and he sees that you really are not going to make fun of him or uh, make him feel crap about needing help or mm -hmm. having other emotions besides anger, then they quite enjoy it, right? I've enjoyed my own counseling. Mm -hmm. They warm to the idea quickly. All right, we have another caller. This might be John on another line. I'm going to try mm -hmm. it. Okay. Let's try it. I am now turning on the third microphone. Hello. How are you? Hi. How are you doing this evening? Good. So I have a counseling well, question for you. Hit me. What would you say, and I'm asking for a friend who can't get his $160 microphone to work on a blog talk radio show. What would you? What advice would you give that friend? Give up immediately. <laughs> Just kidding. Break the so, mic. <laughs> going back to what you were asking, uh, the reason I wanted to call in on this question is yes. because this, this one really hits home to me because this was something that me and my family had knocked down and drag out fights about. Why won't mm. you go to counseling? Why won't you go to counseling? Mm. My experience with counseling, until I met Dr. Fred, <laughs> be honest with you, 
uh, is then that counseling is blame shifting. Uh, it's it's not looking at solving the problem. And and one of the biggest things that led to me and my wife's divorce, we couldn't solve problems because I would argue to try and solve the problem, and she would mm-hmm. argue to win the argument. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I find a lot of counselors. I, I I find that happens in a lot of counseling. It's it's your mom's fault. It's your dad's fault. It's it's you know this reason. And you you have you have this disability or this illness or what have you. And it's and it and nothing is constructed towards. Okay, here's the problem. Here's the solution. And men, especially like in my field, like I'm a building engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm working on an air conditioning unit, I don't want to sit there and reason with the air conditioning unit. I want to figure out this is why it's not working, and this is yep. what I need to do to get it working. And it's very, very hard for somebody like me to orient myself around uh, working through feelings and things like that. I'm, I'm like, I, here's the problem. I want a solution, and and I mm-hmm. guess I, I'm being over simplistic. In my approach, but I think that's, I think it's more common than you might think that a lot of men don't go to counseling because they don't think it solves anything. Right. And I think that uh, something you said is really true. It's different for men to come to counseling when it's marriage counseling mm-hmm. and when it's individual counseling. And I mm-hmm. think that it's certainly true that a lot of us feel if we get into a room with our wife and a stranger, our wife is always going to um, gang up with a stranger on us, and we're going to lose, right? Because she can talk faster. She knows all the lingo. And so I am going to lose any say-so in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell with you, Deb, or have you not intuited that on your male clients? You know, um, the couples, I'm really blessed to work with couples who, for the most part, accept responsibility mm-hmm. and who are both willing to acknowledge ways that they hurt each other mm-hmm. and um, look at ways to heal that. Right. So, so I think that... Yeah, go on. Go <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I I think that that is a really key factor because then nobody's the bad guy. Right. You know, so if they come in, I'm looking at both the husband and the wife as two people who are contributing to the fracture, but Mm -hmm. who are also both necessary to be able to be part of the repair. Okay, right. Deb, that's that's fair enough, and and I think that's wonderful that you that you have that experience with your clients. That was not at all my experience. For <laughs> sure, yeah. And mm-hmm. in, in my experience, it was more like, what can I do to draw the most blood? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was my experience. It was like, even if I need to bring up something from twenty five years ago that's not even remotely related to what we're discussing tonight, it was. Um, what do you do in, if, or have you ever had that experience, either one of you, where you get into that where it's it's no longer you're, you're not producing light, you're producing heat. It's just calm yeah. down. What do you do in that situation? 
Well, statistically, yes. <laughs> statistically, couples who go into marriage counseling are more likely to divorce to d- divorce than those who stay out of marriage counseling. That doesn't necessarily mean that marriage counseling never works. Obviously, it does. It really helps a lot of people. However, there is something really negative about going with the person who knows the most about you, both good and bad, in front of a stranger and then hashing out all the bad parts. So a lot of times the reason that we go into counseling as counselors, the reason we chose this field is because we're nice people and we want to help others, right? And so it's not always the easiest for us to clamp down on behaviors that are really damaging to the process. And one of the really damaging things is bringing up stuff from the past and hashing it over and making the other person look bad in front of the counselor. Some of that is always going to be necessary, right? You got to understand why the person is mad about uh, strawberry jam or whatever, but um, to try to litigate what has happened in the past and assign blame is not helpful at all. And so as counselors, that's one of the things that we screw up on, you know, hand raised here. I haven't always done a perfect job until recently. Just kidding. But yeah, we, we messed mm-hmm. up because we let that go on. Until the show and it started. Worse. Say that again. So, you, you became perfect when the show started, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> now, I by, think. By I, the way, I, Deb. Yes, John. Deb, if I can interrupt you for just a second, I congratulations are in order. You realize Dr. Fred has the number nine ranked show in the religion category on Blog Talk Radio. That is wonderful. After, congratulations. After Fred. only five weeks. I, I think that's Yeah, that is, that's something. That's something special. Good work. Good, faithful work. Um, Deb, I want you to finish what you're saying, and then we have yeah. another caller. Okay, great. Um in the counseling space, I, I find it very helpful to what John was saying with, you know, bringing up this litany and like having it be more like a blame session. Um, I actually set rules. And and within that, it's the, the uh, discourse has to be very respectful. And within that, actually practicing how to communicate well so that there's no criticism, accusation, contempt, um, blame, um, the, the statements that are made have to be made with a sense of responsibility. I, I feel, I think, um, and, and within that, like start working on the communication from the get go. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that takes a lot of time and it, it, you know, interruption. I've had to learn how to, how to kind of set those boundaries as a counselor. Yep. But um, I do find that it allows even though they're both angry, it allows a husband and wife to be able to hear each other. Excellent. Let's see what our new caller has to say. Hello. Welcome to the Uncounseling Show. Do you have a comment or a question? Uh, no, this is Ken Welsker. <laughs> Hi, Ken. This is our very, you're supposed to be our secret uh, surprise guest for later. How are you? How are you? I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> All right. Hi, secret surprise guest. <laughs> Welcome. This is John you're talking to. John, who is the uh, guy who runs, owns and runs a, a four-person's blog. But we'll talk to you in a minute, Ken. I'm going to put you back on hold, okay? Okay. Okay, sure. In a second. Okay. That was the best comment we've had all night. 
<laughs> well, you guys answered my question, so you can go ahead and go to Ken. I, I appreciate your answer. Thanks for calling in, John. All right. So, yeah, um, the other thing that counselors need to do, uh, as we were talking about a minute ago, is clamp down on scoring points, right? Mm-hmm. You can fight all you want. It's perfectly okay as long as you're fighting about an issue rather mm-hmm. than people, right? If you're trying to attack the other person, mm-hmm. uh, you don't go anywhere good. It's well, never I, I don't even like the scoreboard mentality, honestly. Right. You know, and I... I so how I do you manage that, Deb? Um, how do I manage it? I, I um, It's like this. If you prize being right over the relationship, nobody wins. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's, you know, I just very gently remind them of that in different ways throughout mm-hmm. the, the discourse. I love it. So really you have to value truth over being the person who wins the argument or wins the fight. So I really love to hone in on truth and what is true. And like, let's get this right. Like what is true here? You know? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, you're so, right. Um, Deb, you're right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, yeah, there's um, really more about uh, focusing in and honing in on the other person, working on understanding what what the issues really are. Because mm-hmm. the fight is, is, is important. It's a battle. It's a battle for life. Mm-hmm. Really. So um, Dr. Sue Johnson talks about that conflict and the intensity of it being mm-hmm. linked to really a fighting to the death because the fight is really for the life of the relationship. Right. And so it so, feels like that kind of intense intense battle. Well, not necessarily a good sign if you never fight in a relationship. Correct. What's the name? Is that a book that you were talking about a minute ago? Yes. Um, Hold Me Tight. Is it Hold Me Tight? I think. Dr. Sue Johnson. Mm-hmm. I know the name. Dr. Sue Johnson, Hold Me Tight, I believe, is the book. So you could recommend that. Is that for general public or just counselors? It has some really great conversations. There's another one that might uh, – no, I think Hold Me Tight is the eight conversations. But since I'm terrible with actually remembering things, let me look it up. <laughs> okay, no problem. So as a man, uh, don't go into counseling, right? That's the uh, message that we hear from every cell in our body. But also we know that counseling can be helpful. Other people seem to be, have been helped by it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the trouble, I think, for us men is also that you're going to be trapped in a room where there's nowhere to go and nothing to look at. And you're going to be with someone who's sort of an authority figure. Well, to me, mm-hmm. everything about that means I've gone to see the principal, right? Mm-hmm. I'm being punished. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My wife is trying trouble. to fix me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... What are some things that um, men can look for in a counselor that might make the process easier? They don't feel like they're going to be destroyed or turned into some kind of a slave. At the practice where I work, uh, Dr. Peter Kaponis is um, Gottman certified. Mm-hmm. And, Gottman, um, G-O-T-T-M-A-N? Correct. Mm-hmm. Marriage therapist, yeah, go on. And so he uses a lot of the Gottman tools. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and I find so much of the lack of connection, the disconnect, has mm-hmm. to do with a lack of tools. Right. It's not so much about the desire for connection as it is the inability to figure out how to do it. So it's hard for men to know how to make the connection, even though they want and need the connection. Mm-hmm. But they gotcha. understand the the concept of tools. Mm-hmm. So if you think more in terms of tools rather than just sitting there and trying to um, talk about your feelings endlessly, mm-hmm. might be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. makes it much more uh, attractive mm-hmm. to me as a man. So please call in at 515-602-9655. Any questions or comments about counseling, the Catholic faith, masculinity, any of the above. Um, Remember that if you want Catholic counseling or Catholic life coaching that is effective and consistent with the Catholic faith, call St. Barnabas on 872-269-1280. If his schedule is full, I will see you or someone else will. <laughs> or you can um, try to get in with Deb. It's difficult these days. But how do they get hold of you, Deb? Either integritycounselingpa.org or uh, the number is 610-601-9781. So that is 610-601-9781. So that to get hold of Deb or to um, set up an appointment with her or with the other fine counselors in her office. For St. Barnabas, me and the others at St. Barnabas, you can go to stbarn.org, S-T-B-A-R-N.org, stbarn.org. But right now, can a person be Catholic and Jewish at the same time? We have a special guest on the show now, the leader of the lay Dominicans in St. Louis and a leader of the Hebrew Catholics. It's huh. Mr. Ken Wilsker. You're back, Ken. How are you? Okay, Fred. How are you? Good. It's great to have you on here. I've wanted to have you on here Thank for a you. little while. So uh, what is your position at uh, Hebrew Catholics? Ken? I am the um, chairman of the board of directors. Oh, wow. So you're the big boss. No, no. I'm I'm on the board of directors. There is a president, and his name is David Moss, and he's been president for, for over 20 years. So. Right, right, right. He's a, a yeah. great guy, and so are you, Ken. Yeah. Um, those who Thank don't you. know Ken, you. you don't know Ken, do you, Deb? This is Deb, by the way. Hello, Ken. Hi, Deb. <laughs> great to meet Deb you. Is a, Deb is nice a great counselor you. and a, a faithful Catholic, and Ken is actually I, – I was teasing him about being the big boss, but he's actually a very humble man who has um, – who is in the process of turning our lay Dominicans in St. Louis into an amazing uh, force. But I wanted to ask you about being both Jewish and Catholic, Ken. Sure. So, for example, in your own life, what was your youth like? Were you actually raised in the Jewish faith, or what was what was your I upbringing? was. Yeah, I was. I, I grew up in a, for those of you who, are, who know the difference, I was a, Kind of, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish home. I went to synagogue mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I had a bar mitzvah, got confirmed. Um, had a lived in a very Jewish neighborhood, um, and so um, I I had a pretty good Jewish upbringing. Um, although we were not terribly observant, 
I didn't go to mm-hmm. synagogue every Saturday, but I did go to I did go to Hebrew school every Sunday morning. <laughs> so, cool. <laughs> yeah. So. So how is your Hebrew? Can you still read it? I can read it. Yes, I can still read it. But cool. it's um, yeah. I I don't I don't speak it. I don't um, I don't always understand what I'm reading, but I know how to read. Phonetically, <laughs> so you can like make the. But sound. that's probably true for my English too, Deb. At some point, though, you became a Christian. How did that happen? I did um, through a series of kind of tragic events. Um, my wife and I lost two children, both at consecutive Christmases, and then the mm-hmm. Christmas after that, I lost my um, uh, my father-in-law, and then the Christmas after that, uh, I came into uh, I came to a, I came into a relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. and um, I really, through uh, kind of miraculous just channel surfing, this mm-hmm. was way before the internet, and uh, I was watching a a Southern Baptist preacher. And, you know, I had tried pretty much everything else. Um, I, I studied Eastern religions and philosophy and um, you name it. I, I tried it mm. um, except, except for Jesus. Cause I, I kind of knew mm-hmm. Jesus was off limits, you know? Um, so, but, but, you know, at, at some point I was, I was down to my, to my last chip, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that was and that was Jesus and I you know and I heard a I heard a sermon on forgiveness and get it, having a second chance in Jesus and I said you know what I'm going to give this a try and almost immediately my life changed dramatically so wow and then and then later on I had a second conversion um, it, it, to the to the Catholic faith mm-hmm. right 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 so. It, it's hard, isn't it, for Jewish people to become Christians? Why is that? Well, because it's been drilled into us for a long time. But there's a lot of reasons, but it's been really been drilled into us that, you know, Jesus is uh, is not for Jews. Uh, we don't uh, we don't believe in Jesus. That would make you a Christian, and that would pretty much disqualify you from being a part of the Jewish community. So, for those of us who live outside of Israel, um, you know. That's that's kind of suicidal. So, and then the other the other part of it is that um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, our our uh, collective memory as Jews of uh, mm-hmm. Christianity, Catholicism, and Christianity uh, has not been too kind to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's a couple of things that that are kind of uh, working against. Um, Jewish people from from uh, considering the claims of who who Jesus is, and that's a shame because Jesus is our Messiah. Mm-hmm. So um, he's one of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of ironic. <laughs> so uh, Ken, if you don't mind my asking, did you experience any sort of uh, negative social consequences from converting to the Christian faith? You know, I really didn't. I really didn't, um, you know, I'm, not to my face anyway. You know, I'm right. sure there were people who, who thought, you know, this, that, and the other thing about me uh, because of my um, my faith. But um, yeah, my parents had a hard time with it only because when I when I came into faith, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I soon 
discovered Messianic Judaism, and I, I mm-hmm. lived a pretty observant Jewish lifestyle, and which was very contrary to what my you know my parents lived, and um, and I think they they felt more threatened by my you know by by the way I lived than what I believed. Mm. So um, because well, that was after I, you I was, had uh... I was living a more Jewish lifestyle than they were. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. So that was difficult for me. Yeah. But so other then, than that, really, you know, the other part of my family, my wife's family is Italian Catholic, uh-huh. so that really wasn't that much of a big deal for them at all. Right, right, right. What about the other way? Have you experienced anti-Semitism? Um, I have experienced anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in the church, both right. both outside the Catholic Church, you know, in, in mere Christianity, Mm-hmm. And also uh, within uh, Catholicism, um, uh, probably less so, believe it or not. But there's, you know, there's anti-Semitism and then there's anti-Judaism, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of polemics out there in both in Christianity yeah. and in mm-hmm. Catholicism. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a thing called extreme supersessionism, okay? Which huh. means that... Um, which is now this is the extreme version, okay? Because Jesus did come to and, and superseded the, you know, the sacrificial uh, the, the laws and, and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. we do have a new covenant, and yet uh, the Jewish people still have a covenant with God because God never breaks His covenants, you know. And as Christians, right. we should be very happy to hear that because if we if if we thought that you know. Uh, that that God could break His covenant with the Jewish people, then we might think He could break ours too, and and mm-hmm. that's just not the case. So, yeah. So I experienced some anti-Judaism. I experienced, um, you know, I experienced a lot of anti-Semitism as a kid growing up because as I as I kind of ventured out of my little Jewish bubble where I lived mm-hmm. and encountered the non-Jewish world. There was a lot of hatred um, right. that I experienced. So, huh. but not not so much as a Christian, much right. less so as a Christian. Yeah, I'm happy to say. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you something else about that. Um, a lot of people, or at least I don't know how many, but I see online like some people, some Jewish people who have converted to the faith, still mm-hmm. keep kosher or start keeping kosher. Mm -hmm. So what is the status of that? Because kind of from, like I was raised as a more or less Baptist, weren't you, Deb, as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so our whole thing was, uh, well, the law is finished, you know, because Jesus is here now. And so um, it would be wrong to keep kosher, right? Right, right. So what do you think about that? Well, it would be wrong if you were a Gentile. You know, if you were if you were not Jewish, um, and you and you came to faith and you wanted to keep kosher, mm-hmm. um, you know, you certainly can if you want to. You can keep a biblical kosher home. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say biblical kosher, you don't eat, you know, shellfish and pork and and what have you. You know, just keeping right. keeping to the dietary uh, restrictions. Um, but it's not it's it your our salvation is not based on what we eat and what we don't eat. Mm-hmm. So that was that you know, 
for for and there are some people who would disagree with me who are Jewish, you know, Hebrew Catholics or Hebrew Christians or Messianic Jews. They would still say, think that it's obligatory for a Jew to keep the kosher laws, but clearly huh. the New Covenant uh, doesn't, you know, is is pretty clear that. Um, and and you think about, we well, think about it. If, if Jesus came to break down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, and mm-hmm. and and me as a Jewish believer was keeping kosher, and I went to to a, a Gentile brothers and sisters' house to have dinner, and they were serving something that I wasn't eating, that's going to cause division. Right. And, you know, Jesus came to break down that wall of division. So um, that's, that, that's, that, that's pretty, to me, that's pretty clear in the new covenant. Uh, but if, like I said, but if, if somebody wants, if somebody feels led by the Holy Spirit to, to, to keep those laws in their own home and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and, and do it in a way that is not um, overly restrictive, um, you know, and, and doesn't base their salvation on it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see any reason why that would be an issue. Right. Personally, I, personally, I'm, I married an Italian, so I like a lot of, you know, <laughs> a lot of the non-kosher foods, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and be. I enjoy them. So, you know, <laughs> my Very salvation is be. not based on that. <laughs> Very hard to eat Italian food without running into things that are non-kosher. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right. <laughs> or ways of cooking it right. or whatever. So, uh, yeah, to go back to your, your story before, if you don't mind, uh, how did you sure. become a Catholic? What was the process about that? How did that come about? Well, I was um, – I, I spent um, almost, you know, about seven years or so in Messianic Judaism mm-hmm. and um, was uh, – discerning whether or not God was calling me to be ordained uh to be ordained as a as a messianic rabbi. Really? And I started down that path. Yeah, I started down that path and I and God uh took me another direction. Um but um I are there seminaries or something that, for that? I didn't even know about that. Well there there are now. When I was when I was going there it was just starting there was just one starting but I was right. getting my um, ordination through uh, through the Assemblies of God, you know that type right, of thing. Right. So, yeah. Um, but the um, so I spent a little bit of time in the wilderness, and um, you know mm-hmm. when I first became a believer, I, we we went to a Lutheran church, and I I loved communion. I, I you mm-hmm. know we had communion every other week, and I never felt like I wasn't if, if I, I went to I went to church if I didn't have communion. And all of a sudden, some of the, some of that was starting to come back, and I would I, I would kind of sneak in the back of a Catholic church every now and then, <laughs> um, and um, and I was I, I loved going to the, to, to, to mass, mm-hmm. and I would sit in the back. I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know. I would I would just kind of follow the, the you know the crowd. Um, so what did you love about I it? I knew something was different. I knew something was different. And now mm-hmm. I know it's someone, okay? Right. Because <laughs> we went we went to an Episcopal church and we went to Lutheran churches and we went to mega churches and evangelical Protestant churches and mm-hmm. and I just I, I didn't feel like God was calling me there. And then one day, somebody invited us to uh, a Catholic church and on the on the one year anniversary of my mother's passing, 
I said to my wife, let's go, let's go to mass to commemorate her, uh, her passing. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that mass at the time of consecration, I had, mm-hmm. I had a, a profound experience with Jesus in the Eucharist mm-hmm. and kind of my Emmaus road uh, experience and God yeah. lifted the veil from my eyes. And I knew, I knew the Catholic church was right. I knew mm-hmm. this was Jesus. And I had it. I went home um, knowing that I was going to enter the, enter the church. Mm-hmm. Wow. It took a whole yeah. year because that happened one week after Easter. <laughs> so I had to wait a whole, I had to wait mm-hmm. for the fall to come into the RCA program. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, I would go to mass every week. Um, and I, of course I couldn't take communion, but that just made me hungrier for, for Jesus in the Eucharist. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> And how did your wife feel about all that? Well, she was she when I first when I first came home from that first mesh, I, I said, Flora, that, that's Jesus. We have to become Catholic. I have to become Catholic. And um, and she said, uh, Well, you know, what are you going to do with all the, the Jewish stuff? I said, I don't know. I, <laughs> so I that's when I, I I got online and I started doing a search, mm-hmm. and I I found the Association of Hebrew Catholics. And I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe these guys know something. <laughs> maybe they can help me. So uh, that's when I, I, I uh, you know, I contacted David Moss and a few of the mm-hmm. other people, and I did some reading. And I, I realized that the early church, because I was always under the impression that the early church looked more like, um, you know, Messianic Judaism, okay? Right. But right. really the early church was really um, Catholic. Mm-hmm. So. And it was all Jewish in the in, in the very beginning. So, if, mm-hmm. if it was good enough for the for the twelve apostles, I thought, well, I think I can do this too. <laughs> so that's what I did. I, I studied my way in, but really, w- once I realized that Jesus was present in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and if they got that right, they they they've got everything else right. So I had I really had no other issues with with Mary or the saints. Uh, huh. I had no, I had no issues with moral teachings. I realized <laughs> if they got the hard one got right, the other stuff is easy. So I hmm. just had to understand it a little better. So I just, I uh, spent some time praying and studying and, and it all, it, it all made sense to me. That's beautiful. By God's grace, really by God's grace. Not because I'm beautiful. smart. <laughs> so I just love that uh, sort of intellectual humility, Deb, you know, in the sense of, right, if the, if the church has the main things right, then mm-hmm. if you don't understand the other things, it's probably because you don't yet understand the other things. It's not because they're right they're on the Bible right. and they're right mm-hmm. on the Eucharist, but they happen mm-hmm. to be mistaken on contraception or uh, Mary or saints or whatever. Right. Beautiful. Well, um, I wanted to uh, ask you some more questions, if that's okay. Sure. Ask away. <laughs> um, one of them was, you kind of touched on this already, but I wonder if you could tell me more about the Catholic faith and your understanding of Judaism. Like, has that informed your understanding? Has it uh, changed it in any way? What do you think? Well, I think I think it's easy for me to say that my Catholic faith, in, it, and and this is true when I became uh, a Christian, I, and I and I realized 
because I spent a lot of time trying to hide from my Jewish face, from my Jewish background. Mm-hmm. But when, when I, you were I, a young man, or yeah, I was a young man. I was probably thirty years old when I came to faith. Okay, gotcha. So, um, and I realized that my faith, um, that I didn't have to that that my Christian faith informed uh-huh. my Jewish background. So huh. it was all of a sudden it, I, it was like, oh, yeah, now I get this. Now I understand why we why we did this in, in Judaism, why we did that in Judaism. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I started to realize that uh, my Christian faith really was came right out of biblical Judaism. Mm-hmm. And then and then that even just got um, more in, uh, enhanced when uh, when I became Catholic. So. Um, you know, it's one, it's one salvation history. It's not, it, it's right. not Judaism. And then it, you take a right turn or you, <laughs> you take a, you, you have to go back to Catholicism. It's mm-hmm. one big story. Right, so, right, right. um, I, I didn't, I, 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 I feel more Jewish now as a Catholic than when I was just a mere Jew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's well, really cool. That he knows the person of Christ. He's met. Christ, first in the Eucharist and then continuing in the life of Christ in the liturgy. But mm-hmm. uh, Christ, and Christ said, I came not to abolish the law and the prophets. But to fulfill. But to fulfill. Right. 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 Exactly. So that enhancement, it just makes absolutely perfect sense. And that with your background, that you would have a greater appreciation even of many things that are in the liturgy. Yes, um, I, I think so. I, I mean, uh, not not in a superior way, but uh, I recognized some mm-hmm. of those things. You know, a, a lot mm-hmm. of the, the the prayers before the before the Eucharist they come they're very similar to the prayers that we pray, you know, before dinner. Uh, on mm-hmm. uh, and I, I mean the, the the whole a lot of you know the the Passover meal. You know, mm-hmm. um, it it made perfect sense to me how one kind of comes right out of the other. And, um, and I just, you know, for here's the bottom line for for any Jewish person, the most Jewish thing you can do is believe in the Jewish Messiah and his, and the community that he founded, which is the Catholic church. So I've had people ask me, I've had people say, Oh, that must be, that must be some difference. And I'm thinking, no, it's not really. It, it, one grows out of the other. It's, it's actually, uh, it, it's the closest. Uh, uh, there's a there's a Jewish evan- uh, uh, Catholic Jewish evangelist out there that calls Catholicism post messianic Judaism, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Hmm. <laughs> cool. So it re- it was really very very um, and, and you know, and I think Catholicism, especially Catholicism, where you know, we—it's not—it's not mere. It's not by faith alone. It's by—it's faith, you know, working through. You know, uh, it works working through faith. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's a both and. You know, Judaism is a lot of. It, interestingly enough, Judaism is more act, active. Uh, it, it, it's, it concentrates a lot on the actions of of human beings, mm-hmm. and and Protestantism is really more about the. The you know the what's in the head and, and the heart and, and just about faith and just Catholicism puts it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's a perfect that's fit. That's really cool. <laughs> and I find that, you know, the more you do something, the more you believe that, you know. So if you really want more faith, then go and spend time in the presence of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yes. um, if yes. you want to really love Jesus more, then go and spend time in adoration. Yes. Yes. It's, it's and, I mean, ways, we, don't, but, we can't yeah. love what we don't know, right? Exactly. So the more we know, the more time that we spend with just here on earth, the more time that we spend with the people that we love, the more we get to love them. <laughs> That's the same thing with, with Jesus and Mary and, and the saints. So we have a question from a uh, from a listener. It says, "Okay, um, having been on both sides, has that helped you see the typologies like the Queen Mother in, in the Old Testament?" Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Great. Absolutely, yes. Yes, yes. And um, and there's a lot. There's a lot of great. Um, there's there's a lot of great uh, theology and interest these days about the Jewish roots of our Catholic faith. And that really is, um, that's a very new phenomenon. So um, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, for 1700 years, if you were Jewish and you became Catholic, you basically had, to, you were you just assimilated into the Catholic culture and you could no longer do anything Jewish. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not the case anymore these days. So then that's what the Association of Hebrew Catholics is all about is that, you know, there's more and more Jews coming into the Catholic faith now, and they want to connect with other people who have had similar experiences with them and want to be able to and, – and, and we don't think that doing Jewish things in the light of Christ is a denial of who we, who we are as Catholics. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it just enhances it. And then, and then, of course, we invite other people who from other backgrounds to, to join us, and I think it informs their faith as well. Not something that they have to do. It's not something I have to do, but it informs my faith and helps me grow in my love of, of Jesus, of Yeshua and, and Mary. Could you tell us some of the things that you do as part of that Jewish Catholic group? Sure, sure. Well, we, we, uh, we light candles on Friday night and say our Sabbath prayers. Huh. Uh, we we celebrate um, uh, Passover, in the, all in the light of Christ now. Okay, so mm-hmm. we don't do it as in the in the old covenant. We do it in light of the new covenant and in, in, in the light of Messiah. Um, we 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 celebrate Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the and the Feast of Booths and Shavuot, mm-hmm. which is coming up, which is Pentecost. So mm-hmm. we do all of these things as Hebrew Catholics, as Jewish Catholics. In the light of Christ. Ken, uh, let me ask you a controversial question. Sure. Um, is it wrong to pray that Jewish people would convert to the Catholic faith? No, is it wrong to invite Jewish people? No, not, it's not controversial at all. And it, I, I know why you're saying it's controversial because the the Catholic Church has has um, you know they don't target. Uh, Jews for conversion, like many of our Protestant brothers and sisters who have missions to the Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're called to preach the gospel to every human being, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and we need to pray for the conversion of the Jewish people because in the catechism itself, in paragraph 674, and I paraphrase, 
It says that mm-hmm. Messiah's coming is, is suspended until all Israel is saved. Mm-hmm. So if we, if, if, you know, praying for the conversion of the Jewish people is in, sen- in a sense praying for Jesus' return. Okay? And when the Jewish people start to come, come back to the Lord in mm-hmm. mass, it'll be like life from the dead, Romans 11.15 says. Right, so right. absolutely, we should pray for it. If God puts a, a Jewish person in our path and 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 gives gives us the opportunity to share the gospel with them, um, or invite them to mass, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, we should we should well, jump awesome. at that opportunity. I really appreciate your clear message on that because so much of the time these days, I think that. Uh, Evangelism has been blunted by misunderstanding the Second Vatican Council, mm-hmm. as we, you and right. I have discussed that before, which is sure. a real shame. I think the greatest thing you can do to love your neighbor is to invite them into the fullness of the truth. Mm-hmm. And, right. folks, that right. is our mission here, the mission of the uh, four persons. <laughs> <laughs> the four persons blog and podcast is just that. Well, Fred, it was Fred and Deb. It was very nice to be with you, the two of you, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, to uh, let me uh, come on the show. People. Yeah, exactly. Reconcile mm-hmm. all family members to family members, all denominations, mm-hmm. and all people to God. So uh, do get in touch if you have any questions at stbarn.org, S-T-B-A-R-N.org, or you can call Deb at what number? Excellent. And guess what? We have excellent uh, shows on the Four Persons blog and uh, podcast every night of the week. So Sunday at 5, 5 Eastern, remember, that's um, 4, the the true time zone, central time. We have Catholicism rocks. Because you know what? Catholicism does rock. And then at Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, we have the Four Persons Monday show with John Benko, who was on our show just a minute ago. Guess what's on Tuesday, Deb? The Tangled Mess with Deb Rojas. Tangled Mess. It's it's a tangled mess, but it's fun to listen to. Mary Undoer of Not. She's one of the Every Tuesday at 7 Eastern, 6 Central. Wednesday the Four Persons Wednesday show with John Benko, and then Thursday at the same time, every week, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, Uncounseling, the best show of all. <laughs> but tomorrow, if you have missed uh, the or if you haven't missed it, please tune in to listen to Luke Haskell. It's about the truth of the Catholic faith. Excellent show. Noon on Eastern. Uh, noon on Saturday, Burnt Toast and Coffee with William Hemsworth. And finally, Saturday at 7 Eastern, 6 Central, Terry Delp taking it to the streets. So thank you very much for being here, Deb. Thanks again, Ken. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed hearing your story in more detail. And I hope you will consider coming on again to talk about some of the other stuff that we have to talk about. I'd be honored to be honest. Great to meet you, Ken. Thank you for sharing. Nice meeting you, Deb. Let us ask for St. Dymphna to pray for us and St. Barnabas. Pray for, Pray for us. And Mary, uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel. Pray for us. Pray for Pray us. us. 
Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.